0: Well, we're gonna get off going strong today. We are in a series in Hebrews, so if you have a Bible, uh, open up to the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're gonna start in chapter five today. Uh, but to kind of get us in in the uh, in the box of what we're uh, this section of text, let me ask this: Have you ever, uh, have you ever, or have had a family member ever had a hard time letting go of an item in their life? Uh, maybe it's a piece of clothing, a special shirt, a, uh, Air Jordan pair of shoes, a, could be a souvenir, uh, could be even a piece of furniture. Uh, I know for, my, for me, uh, my dad had his Lazy Boy, it was kind of right when Lazy, I don't know, maybe I was young. I didn't know that Lazy Boys existed, we just had kind of a lounge couch or chair, and then my dad got this Lazy Boy when I was a little kid. And uh, about 15 years later, my mom was taking an interior design class. And the moment it arrived, she wanted to redesign the living room. And I remember my dad and her going back and forth about how this lazy boy is gonna look with all the new stuff. And uh, my dad loved this lazy boy. Man, there's uh, so much of his life, so many memories, so many evenings, so many football games. Uh, So many Christmases unwrapping presents together when he was in this comfortable chair and it was hard to let go. Similar feelings generated when people are in transition or in a season of change. Uh, That's hard to think forward. When your mind and heart are stuck in the past, hoping that they become present once again, or maybe, hopefully, that past will become present in the future, hopefully. But still, your orientation is where? On the past. Well, it's the same sense that's going on with this audience to the book of Hebrews. The, the audience were Jewish believers, Jewish uh, Christians, and God had done a brand new thing when Jesus came, died, and resurrection, and that old comfort of their traditions of their fathers Writer of Hebrews says it's just that, it's old, it is fulfilled, it is superseded by maybe a new covenant that Jesus came to bring. And so this is the tension of the letter of Hebrews, and so we're going to find ourselves today in the middle part of this, of the author's argument of why Jesus is our new high priest and the implications of what that means. He's greater than Moses, he's because he brought a new covenant with him. And so it's ve- it was very hard and very tough for these Jewish Christians. Imagine your fathers, fathers, as far as you can think back, were in this tradition. And now God has done something new and it's really hard for these Jewish believers to kind of wrestle with. So that's what we're going to get in today. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that Lord, as we sit with this letter to the book of Hebrews, Father, I pray that just the Jewish believers are having a hard time letting go. Father, I pray that, Lord, there may be some things in our own life, in the 21st century, that, God, we're having a hard time letting go, feeling that that comfort and that change will bring worse things than better. And I pray that you would just speak to us through your word, that your covenant is better, that you are a better high priest, and that, God, you came to see us fully engaged in the mission that you've made us for. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to cover kind of uh, Hebrews 5 to 8. Uh, There's two big issues and one big warning. All right. So that's what we're going to cover today. Two big issues and one big warning. All right. So the first one, we just came off chapter four, encouraging these Jewish believers not to fail to enter into God's rest like their forefathers did in the wilderness. Because of Jesus, we can now boldly come into God's presence because Jesus is now our new greater high priest. At work, and this usually happens at work, doesn't really happen at home very much, but at work, have you ever got into a confrontation in life where two teammates are arguing over who has the final authority or say in decision making? You ever been on a team like that? It may have been delegated or a team was assembled and then the team's getting together and working some problems and then it comes down to decision making and nobody in the room kind of knows who has the final say. And usually sometimes if there's no kind of delineated authority, usually two of the more type A's kind of people will kind of step up and kind of say, well, I'll make the decision for us. Um, There's tension in those kind of relationships. There's sometimes passive aggressiveness that bleeds out in our relationships, when, when we're really not sure where the line of authority is and who has the final say. And if you're on a team, that can be quite uh, unnerving or uh, y- there's no solid foundation there by which you can feel free to fully express yourself on the team until you clarify with a superior authority. Usually you have to kind of go to the boss or kind of go to the team lead or your direct report and say, hey, hey, we got a team going on. Which person has kind of the final say in this decision? Oh, it's, you know, Jimmy. Jimmy's got the final word. All right, Jimmy. All right, Jimmy. You got to decide. Well, this is exactly kind of what's happening here in this book. The same way the author of Hebrews is trying to create a similar case about Jesus being this high priest. So we kind of have, he lays out this case. Though so you start with Abraham. Now again, the book of Hebrews kind of assumes that we kind of know a little bit about the Jewish history, Jewish law, and this whole book is filled with it. So we start with Abraham, the father of the faith. Then he says, there is Moses, right? Remember, Moses, Jews? Yes, he is our high priest. He is the ultimate high priest in our tradition. That's Moses. And out of that, when Moses kind of was the high priest, he established... In those 12 tribes, he established one tribe, tribe of Levi, Levi's tribe, Levites. They were the ones that had the authority to be priests. So God was very clear. Man, my priests are going to come through the line of Levi. All right, all right. Cool, makes sense. Everybody's on board with that. Yeah, that's our history. Thanks very much. But then this author brings up this random story right at the beginning of Abraham's life. And we find it in Genesis 14. Genesis 14 says this, after Abram returned, Abram and Abraham are the same guy. After Abram returned from his victory over Kido and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. Then there's this guy. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Wow. Packed with illustration in this. But Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies because of you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods, that he had had, uh, uh, recovered. So here's Abram. He just wins a battle. This priest of the Most High God, which is the first priest of the Most High God, we find in Scripture. The author of Hebrews draws the Jewish audience back to this guy, Melchizedek. Do you remember Melchizedek? Oh, man, that was a small little story made up of four verses. But if you were a Jew, you would know who Melchizedek was, and that Abram, the father of the faith, actually paid a tithe to this priest. And here's the author's argument. The line of Melchizedek, Jesus doesn't come from the line of Levi. He comes from the line of Melchizedek. Boom. His priestly line goes back to the very first priest mentioned in Scripture. Not even Moses. Moses. handle that. So, he goes on. Hebrews 7, it says, There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on your behalf. He is the kind of high priest that we need. Because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the high place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. So he's saying, men. You really honor these high priests from the Levite tribe, but listen, they're just men. They still have to offer sacrifices for their own sin. But now because of Jesus, who's holy and blameless and righteous and perfect, he's the ultimate high priest and will be forever. So clearly the Jewish believers, we have this high priest, and man, this would be hard to work out, wouldn't it, if you were a Jewish Believer, This would be very difficult to kind of take on. What does it have to do with Moses and the law? Are you saying it's done? Hmm. Well, it seems like the flow chart is getting switched up here. Okay? The authority flow chart, you just messed us up with this high priest. But now the author is going to double down and go after the law. So the author takes dead aim now at the law and the covenant of Moses. A covenant is an agreement as compared to a contract. Contract is an agreement. Contract is you break it, contract's done. Covenant is if you break it, you ask for a curse to be put upon yourself and all of your family if I fail to fulfill these requirements. It's big difference. So a covenant is agreement, usually between two parties. In the ancient Middle East, Near East, it was a kind of treaty by I mean by which rulers would enter into a covenant relationship with their subjects. So some covenants were bilateral in that there were obligations and requirements on both sides. Marriage you could see as a bilateral covenant in which husband and wife make covenant promises which they're obligated to keep with one another. This is a covenant to the believing Hebrew at their time, their story starts with again Abraham. Remember, Abraham brings up Abraham again. Remember Abraham? Jews? Well, listen, God gave an unconditional covenant to Abraham. I will bless you, and through you all the nations will be blessed. I will bless you. It isn't what's considered an unconditional covenant which means it's not based upon man's behavior or action for it to get accomplished. It's all on God. To so the Abram, he says, I will make your name great. I will let you bless the whole earth. But then here comes this covenant with Moses. 430 years later, God gave another covenant to his chosen people through Moses. Now the Mosaic covenant was not, condi- not unconditional. It was conditional. Exodus 19.5 says, And now, if you diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine. You look through the Mosaic covenant, and with that, there's a lot of ifs and then. If you do this, then I will do this. You read Deuteronomy 28. There's, the, there's a lo- list of blessings and curses to the nation of Israel. If they obey God, hey, this is what God is going to do to bless you. If you disobey God, this is what God's going to do to curse you. Who? big shift there. It's like spades. You know, when you're losing spades, you don't just kind of like go minus, you go minus that. I don't know if you're any spades fans. Anyway, if you lose, you go way back. Anyway. God promised blessings to his people and now the life death and resurrection of Jesus declares that God found fault with his people and the first covenant and so he brought a new covenant the new covenant is unconditional it's irrevocable it is a covenant that stands forever just like Abram still stands it's unconditional it doesn't change Yahweh gave us a snapshot of what he was planning on doing hundreds of years before Jesus came. In Ezekiel 36, he says, then, this is God speaking, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Wow. So that God took the initiative and announcing his intention to establish a new covenant indicates that he fully intended the first covenant to be provisional. The first covenant lacked the power to energize obedience in his people, as we've seen throughout history, because it was written on tablets of stone and not on the tablets of hearts and minds, like the new covenant. The covenant that Jesus established for all eternity, like I said, is eternal. There's no ifs or there's no buts. It is, I will do this, then you'll do it. It's a covenant form fitted for our brokenness, for who humanity really is. Because we are broken, we are unholy, we are sinful, we're, we're disintegrated. And Jesus came to reverse that whole course of humanity's life. In our helpless condition, it and it, this cannot be put in jeopardy because of the acts of man. That's what's amazing about this covenant that God established through Jesus. No other covenant will ever do this. It's a covenant on better promises that are centered on the forgiveness of sins and the empowerment of his spirit. Jesus' perfect holy life and death on the cross, it literally fulfilled all the requirements of that Mosaic covenant. Jesus fulfilled it. And then he establishes a new, unconditional, forever covenant. So imagine if you were a Jewish believer. This would be very hard to kind of take in. Hebrews 8. This is the kind of the covenant that he talks about, this greater covenant. In Hebrews 8, verse 10, he says, But this is the new covenant, this is God speaking, I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already and I will forgive their wickedness I will never again remember their sins there's seven I will statements in these three verses as compared to the ten commandments in the Old Testament this is the new covenant That is the old covenant. The old covenant was conditional, provisional. Here is this forever eternal covenant that Jesus came to establish. So here's what the new covenant has that the old one never did. Number one, God writes his laws on our minds and our hearts. And the old old laws were still written in stone. But because of what Jesus, the spirit of God, can come into any person, no matter who they are, know him. Jesus was demonstrating or kind of giving an example of what this life looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you have, anybody, if, if you have any anger in your heart, it's, it's as if you've committed murder. Oh, he raises the bar on the law. Why? Time and time again. Why? Because the law was insufficient. The law is a tutor and a trainer to teach us who God's like and His holiness. But because of this covenant with Jesus, now He can put His Spirit inside of you to enable you to live this life that you were made to live. The new covenant made it so that we don't have to strive to live according to God's laws. We simply live by the law of the Spirit. And when He puts His Holy Spirit in you, it is numero uno job to have your radar and antenna dialed in every day to that Holy Spirit. And a lot of times the world or things around us will get you to change your radio station. Nah, nah. nah. We're tuning it back in every day. His mercy's new every day. I'm tuning back in every day. Number two, he says, He'll be our God and we will be his people. Men in the Old Testament, the people had to go to a mediator, a priest, to represent them to God and for the priest to relay messages back to the people of whatever he heard. The new covenant, beautifully, because of Jesus' atoning blood, made it so that we could speak directly to God without a mediator. That humanity could go directly into the throne room of God because of what Jesus has done. You don't have to rely on a pastor or a priest to know God. Jesus upended that whole system. And number three, God will not only forgive your sins, but he'll not even remember them. You remember all yours. God doesn't. So which life framework do you want to live under? His or yours? Not even an option. The old covenant gave instructions for a yearly sacrifice of sin. This looked forward to the time of Christ. Christ but yet it served as a constant reminder of their sin and brokenness. Yet because of the new covenant, God made it so that the issue of sin was completely and permanently dealt with once and for all. Because of it, those that have been given Jesus their allegiance, they've been made holy. They've been made blameless. They've been made righteous because of Jesus. Then, these are kind of these two issues. Jesus being a better high priest, and that he brought a better covenant. Right in the middle of this, the author gives us a warning. He says this Hebrews five eleven. Says there's much more. We would like to say about this. You're like, man, I'm just still trying to get a, get a ticket of what you're you're pitching me here. I mean. It says, there's much more we could say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's the two by four of God's word. Verse 12, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Ooh. Man. These Jewish believers, they knew so much of God's word. Because the persecution was increasing right in around the middle of the 50s, this was uh, uh, written about... Later, 50, like 58, 59 to 63, we kind of really don't really know the exact date. But right around that time is when the persecution of not only Christians but also Jews increased. And there is, there is huge debates. Do we stick with the tradition of our forefathers or do we go with Jesus and this new covenant? And they were really wrestling about, man, it's really hard to give up the framework of the law because we've, I've lived every breath of my day framed by that law. Hmm. And so this word, may you not grow spiritually dull. May you not grow spiritually dull. So here's a question. What in your life gets you spiritually dull? There's things that I would submit that the enemy sends into your life to keep you spiritually dull? Whether it be a relationship, just tech and distraction and entertainment, whatever whatever it would be, what makes you spiritually dull? And here's the author's encouragement. Man, get past the basics in this abundant kingdom life that Jesus came, not just so that you could go to heaven one day, but so that he can empower you with his spirit to bring heaven on earth in the here and now Store up treasure and then go be with them. Jesus is our great high priest who gave us a greater covenant, a covenant of grace. So, like I said earlier, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, man or woman, old, young, white, black, your ethnic heritage, background, mistakes, brokenness, sin, it doesn't matter. All can come. It's not a time for us to be sluggish or distracted. It's a time, it's not a time for us to get passive and comfortable. Much like these Jews wanted to do, we just want to get back to the comfort of the law. Moses, even though Jesus is now, hey, we'll worship him too, but we liked the law. Growing into maturity as a son or daughter of God has been the kind of the charge call on every generation Grow up into maturity. Don't forever be an infant. I've met 80-year-old infants that have followed God for 60 years and are still just infant. God is ch- charging us to grow up in our faith, not just remain in infancy until He comes back or we go get to go, go meet Him. That's not the life that God has designed you to live. It's filled with the power of His Spirit. Did you know that God the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're follower of him, lives in you. And almost like, man, the familiarity of that, or the or the just like, Lord, break off our spiritual dullness as to what is at play, as to what it what what abilities God has given you and I to counter the forces of evil. And the great thing is, like I said, you and I we're we're authorized citizens of heaven. Your representative you are a, empowered by his spirit in this life no matter what life may deal you and i we have the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead and people need this freedom you and i need this freedom you and i need this beautiful covenant isn't it amazing like all who come and bend the knee get like brought into this beautiful kingdom family but yet It's really hard for us to kind of let religion go because religion is a framework that's made by the schemes of man. In order that if you do certain things, maybe one day it'll get better. Whether it be your karma, whether it be, hey, you just follow these laws or do these five pillars or you make this pilgrimage or whatever. You do these certain things to prove that you love God, but still there's a question what's the response? Christianity turns the whole religious world upside down and inverts it. It means that you, Christianity, there's nothing that mankind could do to improve their state. Actually, the more they try to improve their state, the worse it gets. Yeah. But God inverted that. He said, man, if you come to me, I'll make all things right. And I think of Paul when he said this. Philippians 3 says, but when I, I press towards that day, when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. May that be our vision as well that we press on, that we're not going to be spiritually dull. We're not going to let the enemy in kind of doors or windows into our life to kind of sabotage what God wants to do. No, no, no. We're going to live a life full of freedom, full of joy, full of peace, full of his abundant life. Amen? We press on towards that day. All right. And the last thing I thought is, I know for me, Living life alone or trying to do this walk with Christ alone guarantee you, you will be spiritually dull. That's just part of the equation. You will be spiritually dull. You're not a very good coach to yourself. How many times did you say you were going to go to the gym? Huh? You say no to that coach all the time. In order for us to not live, be spiritually dull, we need one another. We need one another encouraging each other. Hey, keep your faith frosty. Hey, man, you're too, you're too awesome to live that way. Hey, like this is the kind of encouragement that you and I need, and that's why God gives us to one another. That's why he says he puts the solitary in families. Psalm 68, 6. It says, man, he puts the solitary, the people that are lonely, isolated, man, he sets them into a family so they can grow. So if you've maybe been a follower of Jesus and you're like, man, I still kind of feel like I'm on the infant kind of child, I guarantee you, how many people have you invited into your life and say, hey, let's do this kingdom life together? Probably not very many. I'll bet $100 not very many. Anyway, but we need one another, amen? This kind of better covenant under this better high priest? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your a better high priest than Moses ever was. Lord, you brought a better covenant than the covenant of Moses. God, this covenant is unconditional and lasts forever. And all who come are welcomed into your family. God, you did permanent—you did permanent damage to sin, being able to be the one thing that keeps us from knowing you. God, you removed that obstacle by the cross of Christ. And that, Lord, it's our own stubbornness, our own pride, our own rebellion, our own love of the world or our own sin that keeps us from coming to know you. God, there's nothing in the way other than our own will. And, Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any of us here, Lord, we've been sensing, God, I've been spiritually dull. I feel like, man, there's a dullness that maybe I didn't have before. And I may be awakening to the fact that, holy cow, I think I've been dull the whole time. So ask the Lord, God, what has made me dull? What comes into my life and steals that freshness, steals that seed to make me dull? What is it? Really ask the Holy Spirit right now, God, what is it? God, I pray that, Lord, we would see that thing for what it is. It's keeping us from experiencing all that God has us for all that God made us for. And Father, I pray that right now we could hand that to you to say, God, we give this to you. We hand it over. We no longer get to control this, but God, we're asking you to take control. Father, Lord, we give these things to you. God, may you instill in us a heart that is hungry for meat and not just milk. Lord, let us be hungry for truth, hungry for you. In this generation, may we stand strong, confidently in your covenant. In this generation, that nothing can come against that eternal covenant that you established. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that God may have been just kind of on the outside, always kind of observing from the outside. Just, just I'll just kind of I'll just kind of make a big commitment when I kind of get all my questions answered. And if that's you, there's, there's, that's the enemy's scheme. I would gently submit that that's the enemy's scheme to just keep you stagnant. That even if you've got all your questions answered, it still would come down to a heart that makes a choice to say, God, I give you my life. So, God, I pray that, Lord, if there's any of us here that have yet to kind of just make that all-in commitment, that I just pray for them right now. Father... Lord, I just pray for these hearts. That God, even now, that they would just relinquish and release their heart to you. Relinquish and release their past, their present and future. All their mistakes, all their brokenness, all the things that even still need to be cleaned up. God, we just hand that over to you right now. God, you are our God. And we are your people. And we thank you that you will Give us a new heart, that God, that you will give us a new mind. Father, I pray that you do that right now, in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you, God, for the cross of Christ, that anyone can come and be found and be made home in you. I pray that we could be at home with you in our lives, at work, at home, Lord, that we would walk with the confidence that we are your sons and your daughters here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.